0: Welcome to History, Books, and Wine, where three author friends talk about books and fun historical tidbits, all while raising a glass of vino. We're your hosts, Lori Ann Bailey, Eliza Knight, and Madeline Martin. So, pour a glass and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to episode 37 of the History, Books, and Wine podcast. Tonight is our happy hour, so you get all three of us, so thanks for tuning in. I'm Ann Bailey. I'm a National Reader's Choice and Holt Medallion award-winning author who writes Scottish historicals with Hot Highland heroes and spunky independent lasses finding their perfect
0: matches in the Scottish Highlands. And I'm Madeline Martin, a USA Today best-selling author of historical romances with page-turning action, tough heroines, and the men who are strong enough to love them.
2: And I am Eliza Knight, USA Today best-selling author of Scottish historical romance with irresistible heroes, courageous heroines, and daring adventure. Under my name, e Knight, I write rip-your-heart-out historical fiction that crosses landscapes around the world. And I am going to apologize in advance. I have been on tour for a couple of months and came down with a nasty cold... So I have this lovely throaty voice for you this week, and Ooh, I will Huff try not to tassi. cough in <laughs> here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
0: like crazy. You got like the Kathleen Turner thing going on. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Well,
2: that's what the kids are like laughing at me, and um, Hoff was like. You sound like you're smoking or something. Like, sorry.
0: <laughs> so, on that note, we are going to apologize to you guys this week because this is the hot mess episode. <laughs> yeah. Definitely the hot mess episode. Our lives have all veered wildly off course. We are all scrambling on deadlines. We are all overworked and exhausted. Our bodies are breaking down. Our brains are breaking down. Yes. Our voices are even breaking down. Yes. <laughs> We're drinking a lot of wine. Yep. And barely getting through these days. Oh so my gosh. We were supposed yeah. to talk about the Salem Witch Trials and I'm not going to bore you with all the details of us, but it's it's been a lot of different e- text messages going back and forth, a lot of gifts, of people dying and <laughs>
1: things like that we will we will save the salem witch trials for you guys for another time when we're more put together
0: and so we decided that it might be kind of fun this time to just well and also easier for us to talk about our books that we're working on and the historical research that we are doing for what our current projects are because that's what we love so much about what we do
1: that's right so true but first we need to tell everybody what we're drinking
0: see do you see how in a hot mess i am i totally forgot about even talking about (laughs) (laughs) wine i'm losing my mind (laughs) y'all
2: so this is a bottle that i bought yesterday to celebrate turning in a book finished a book due to my editor turned it in right on time and bought some uh, prosecco sparkling to have with it but i just wasn't feeling it last night so i'm having it with you guys tonight it is I think it's called Lamarca Prosecco, uh, sparkling wine. It is a product of Italy. Ooh. Yeah. And it doesn't really explain much about it. Oh wait, here we go. Okay. Crafted in the heart of Italy, Lamarca Prosecco sparkles with lively effervescence, blossoming notes of honeysuckle and citrus, complement crisp green apple, juicy peach and ripe lemon. And it's one of my favorite little prosecco drinks to get. A lot of times in restaurants, you can get a little tiny bottle of it. I have a giant bottle here, <laughs> or I guess a regular size bottle. But it's it's really delicious, and I love it. If you're ever in New York, at and you go to J, uh, Junior's in Times Square, you can get a piece of cheesecake and a little mini bottle of La Marca Prosecco, and it is really delicious. That sounds it's like heaven. <laughs>
0: All right, and I am drinking a wine called Payoff. It is a Russian River Valley Pinot Noir from 2018, and this is like a schmancy, fancy kind of bottle of wine. It's like twenty five dollars because it was Bogo at Publix. Oh yeah! <laughs> my favorite right. time That's to buy—they awesome. like to try That's the, the best really. Time. I know. My favorite time to buy the wines that are like over fifteen dollars or when they're Bogo. And even this one, I was like, I oh, don't know, it's still twenty five dollars on Bogo. <laughs> I could get like two 10 ten dollar bottles right. for twenty. <laughs>
2: But I will say it's
0: really, really, really good. And um, in the interest of, like I said, you know, being ridiculously behind, I'm actually just going to read this from the back of the bottle. That's what I just did. It's all okay. good. Well, it's so hard to read, too, because you have to turn it because the darn things I know. To, like And I had
2: to squint because it's
0: really tiny. It's really <laughs> tiny. Oh, my gosh. My eyes aren't capable of this. Okay. Every harvest, there is a shed of blood. Whoa. <laughs> <I don't remember. laughs> read this beforehand you guys get your experiences with me that is awesome (laughs) okay every harvest there is a shed of blood sweat and tears it is a hard and sometimes risky job but the payoff is worth it what better reward than a velvety pinot noir with red fruit notes and a smooth lingering finish okay that had a better (laughs) that story had a better end than it started with because yeah (laughs) That was a good hook, though. (laughs) It was. It is. It's really, really good. It's a very, very rich Pinot Noir. Usually, Pinot Noirs tend to be a little bit on the softer side, um, but even though it's got like a nice, bold flavor to it, it's not sharp at all. It's really smooth, and I love it. I would love to try that. It's really good. It does sound good. Maybe I should grab it while it's still on BOGO for our retreat coming up in February. Yes, for
2: sure.
1: (laughs) All right, and tonight, I am having Hobnob wicked red and this is a limited edition bottle that i got when i did my wicked wine run back in september and it was really yummy then and now i mean it has this really awesome bottle it's red and white it has like one of those I, I wouldn't call it a sugar skull, but it's very similar. Oh to yeah, I, I was like cool. little red flame oh, you'll coming of it. you have to take a picture and, yeah. put and put it on Facebook. I have already taken a picture and I'm going to do it. Yes. Yay! So I'm also d- drinking it out of my wicked wine run glass. And it's that I got for well, I got two of them for finishing the race because I did the race, then I did the the walk where you got the tastings along the way. So yeah, that's that's
0: good. that sounds like fun. <laughs> I
2: would do the walk.
1: I want to do that. <laughs> So by oh my the time I was carrying my bottle of wine around and a friend of mine had bought a bottle and she had it in the pocket, like the side pocket of her pants, yeah. you know how they make the workout pants? Yeah. Yes. It was so That's funny. Great. <laughs> but I would, I would love to read you all the detailed information about this lovely wine, but there is nothing written on the back oh, of it. Oh, no. It's a gift for special edition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except that it's a wicked red blend limited edition 2018 it also says that it's a product of france and Ooh, that it is like, yeah. yeah so
0: it's french and it's yummy so speaking of our of running though we'll have to update everyone with a status of how we're doing um on our half marathon training <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I ran <laughs> walk more. the
1: Wicked Rhyme Run. I, I can't even talk tonight. The well, that's hard to say. Run. Wicked wine Run. Yeah, five yeah, like,
0: yeah. it's like a yeah. dog buster. Yeah, like, I can't even say my kid's name's right. Like, I always, like, <laughs> but I, I have not done a lot since
1: then, and I, it's just because I've been so busy... Writing and with kids stuff, yeah. but I plan on in the next couple weeks kicking it back up in gear, and I am going to get out there and pound the pavement so that I can finish our run. I don't. Yeah. I'm not going to make a stellar time, but oh God, I'm going to make either. it
2: through. I just want to make it through. Yeah, yeah. I just don't
0: want to die. Pretty much at this point. Yeah, like I was. <laughs> I was doing so good before I um before I went to Indonesia. I was I was doing like six miles with like yeah. without stopping. I ran the whole time. And then I got an injury, and my shin started bothering me. Aww. And then I went to Indonesia, and then we went to Disney, and then I had a conference, so I we went to Disney, and then I came back, and I went for a run, and I was like, this is going to be great, and I went for three miles and almost threw up. <laughs> and it hasn't really gotten much better since. So.
2: <laughs> that was like me before we moved, so back in May or June, I guess, yeah, like June, we moved at the end of June, I think, so... Um, before then, I was up to like four and a half miles, and I was like on pace to be like building up my mileage and all of that. And then we moved, and then we went to Europe, and then we had I had like eight different conferences, and then I went on a book tour. And every time I go out, I'm like two, three miles, and I'm dying. Like, I- and I had a shin splint issue,
1: mm-hmm. and then I had, had, had one a, too.
2: Yeah, and then I was having like a weird hip thing, um, which I think is just too much. Just, just too much of everything that I'm doing. I need to relax, right. but given that I, I can do the two to three miles I have a race in three weeks a 5k so I'm like oh I'll be perfect for that <laughs>
0: you've got that five k that all one. day I could do that one <laughs> especially now you know you can fit a wine bottle on your exercise exactly yeah I need to
2: get I need to get some more pockets right um, yeah
0: but yeah was,
2: I'm, we need that I'm bogo worried.
1: wine before we get started that'll yeah count, yes. for real
2: that's right
0: <laughs> oh gosh yeah So I think we're all kind of deciding that December first, we're gonna really get gung ho about it. Yep. Yes. (laughs) Doesn't matter how many Christmas cookies we eat. None. Doesn't matter how many like you get like
2: Christmas cookies like on Christmas.
0: Right. It doesn't matter how many bottles of wine we consume because I'm pretty sure there will be plenty because I don't. I know my busy time doesn't really stop until probably January first. Is probably when life will kind of slow down a little bit more.
2: Mine's March first, so. So yeah. But but I have worked out my schedule so that I'm actually writing a reasonable amount instead of what I've been doing, which is writing a very unreasonable amount each day that is killing me. So it's not necessarily, like, busy for me. Like, I guess it's just my normal time. I'm looking for... And that feels like it's going to be a break.
0: Right. Mm Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. After I get to the end of December, I will have written seven books this year. That is incredible. It's insane. You, You
1: guys are amazing. I have. I have not been writing as much as you guys but i have had a lot of family issues and other illnesses and different things that have kept me away from doing as much writing as i want but i am well, catching you also up. headed up
0: the whole thing with eight kisses yeah. yes yes i
1: have that Is that Is Is it eight kisses? that was a lot of work that was a lot of work that culminated this week and i will be talking about that in a few Yay. days so. <laughs> So something to celebrate, another thing to celebrate. Yes. yes,
0: definitely. So, yeah, so it's it's been great, but we're also, I oh my gosh, even as I'm talking, my left eye won't stop twitching. <laughs> that's because like you're uh,
2: so stressed and tired. This left eye is, awful. like,
0: perpetually twitching. I feel like Quasimodo walking around. Like, <laughs> it's just awful. <laughs> I started yeah. lining my eye a little heavier on that side to kind of oh, cover it up oh. some because it just doesn't ever stop twitching anymore. It's ridiculous. Oh. Geez. Anyways...
1: So, um, there must be a vitamin you need, too. I don't know. You'll have
0: to look that up. I'm sure it's not oh. more wine, because I'm drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> <I don't think. laughs> You're getting your antioxidants. Right? My uh, Reservatrol. Yeah.
2: yeah. Mine always twitches when I'm either super stressed or very tired. Like... Not just I'm tired. I didn't sleep good last night, but like tired. I haven't slept good in weeks. Right. Yeah.
0: I think that I haven't slept good in months. <laughs>
2: yeah. Or a year. no, I'm or saying, the whole year.
0: Yeah. No, I, I will. I'm not gonna lie though. I did have that really nice weekend with John in Disney. With, oh yeah. Um, man, I had two nights where I got eight and a half hours of sleep That's in a row. I didn't even know that that was even possible. That is great. That was really. You. you so I don't think you've that. ever
2: slept that much the whole time I've ever known you. <laughs>
0: I know. I don't yeah. think I have either. <laughs> Oh, it was so nice. So we came back and so relaxed and everything. And then I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so behind. I really need to catch up." (laughs) And then it was all gone. It was all from downhill from there. (laughs) Oh man, yeah. And Eliza, you're still killing it though with this tour and everything. That's awesome. You are killing myself. (laughs) Well, (laughs) no, it's it's been really
2: fun to meet everybody, and I've met a lot of really great readers and. I've gone to some amazing cities it is just so exhausting and I think that if I ever do something like a massive tour like this again I definitely will make sure I don't have a book to write while I'm doing it because you know when you're meeting people and traveling a lot and and talking a lot you kind of need that downtime and during my downtime I was having to focus on a book so that made the last couple months really really difficult
0: yeah yeah I can't imagine I can't either yeah Oh, so big collective sigh. Ladies, let's have a toast yes. to us and how we yes, have rocked this too. year so far. We may not have a full podcast put together today, but you know what? We've got wine, we've got friendship, and we've got jokes. There you go. That's right. That's <laughs> true. Here's to us. Here's yes. to us. <laughs> All right. So I think I'm kicking off talking about um, history, historical research for our books. I think that works good. Yep. All right. So these uh, historical little tidbits are some fun things that I learned while I was writing the Earl of Oakhurst. So last year we had, uh, I was part of a group of authors who released something called the Wicked Earls Club. And so it was incredibly popular and that was awesome. And so we decided to do a second series. So my second book in the Wicked Earls Club is called Earl of Oakhurst. And I was really excited to write this book. And I had a heroine who I had kind of been building up as the books went on, like as other books, uh, little Regency novellas that I've done have kind of gone on. And this particular heroine... Was an uh, adolescent, I guess, during those books, and she was really interested in medicine. And so this is actually part of her story where she's grown up and she's she's become a physician. Well, she's not can't technically be a physician in the Regency era, but she's volunteering her time at Saint Thomas's Hospital. And her, the whole premise is that like you know she basically can't work there anymore because it's unseemly for a single woman to be there. So she can't come back unless she gets married. So And then with the hero, I had to make him really stand out because the thing about Penelope is that she was a very sought-after debutante, like, um, or she was just very sought-after. She was incredibly well-accomplished. She was beautiful. She's wealthy. But she didn't want to marry anybody because they were all really boring to her. So I had to make Mackenzie really stand out. And I know for myself personally, one of the things that I really love is when I learn new things. And when I meet somebody who can teach me new things, it's so that person becomes so much more exponentially interesting, you know? Yeah. So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, what if I had him, and I pulled it out of nowhere, I was like, what if I had him love ancient Greece? (laughs) So I ended up, I don't know, I, I, So this, you know, novellas are usually pretty quick and easy, right? And then I'm like, I'm going to have this woman be a physician in the Regency era, and I'm going to have this guy know everything about ancient Greece, not even thinking about the amount of research that I was yeah. keeping upon my, oh my shoulders. God. I love ancient Greece, though. <laughs> Thank you. It was so much fun. Sometimes banging my head against the wall trying to find some of this information, but I had so, so, so much fun researching this book, and I found a lot of really great stuff. So I'm actually going to open this up with, I know we had fun doing like the true false questions and stuff like that. All right. So I have a fun little uh, true false to kind of start off with, with some ancient Greek uh, history. Oh, fun. So Mm -hmm. the, uh, actually the word idiot comes from ancient Greece, if you guys knew. Uh, So let me ask you, (laughs) true or false, idiot is someone who does participate in politics Oh, oh, absolutely true. It has I to be true. true. I say true. I say true. It's actually false. Idiot is the one who does not participate in politics. <laughs> Maybe I that just, definition has changed over time. I know, apparently evolution has changed <laughs> that word around a little bit. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> yeah, I was like doing research and I I was just looking up like interesting things about ancient Greece and this one was like the word idiot comes from Greece and I was like, "What? That's what? awesome." <laughs> And then when I read what it was for, I was like, that is great. So, uh, so that was one fun little thing. So I thought this was so incredibly cool because it tied in both. And this is completely, I wish I could be like, man, I'm so good that I planned this and it was right in there and it fit seamlessly with both characters. No, this was one of those wonderful coincidences where I read about it. and I was like, oh my God, yes. Thank you, history for pairing so wonderfully for me. So, there is this woman in uh, ancient Greece whose name was Agnodis. I don't know, I'm saying this totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Agnodes? I'm going to say Agnodes. That sounds good, right? Yeah. Agnodes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she was a woman who was very interested in the medical profession. However, women were not allowed to participate in med- medicine back then either. So she would actually help women deliver their children. And she was so incredibly helpful that women everywhere loved her. As I'm sure we can all see why we've all had kids. (laughs) You've got someone who's like, I got this. Okay, you know, you love this woman. So to to minimize her possibility of getting caught, she actually even cut her hair. But unfortunately, she was discovered. And apparently, all of the women in Greece rose up to support her to, uh, to tell the government basically like... You know, no way are you going to take this woman away from us. And, you know, men don't get too far along without women. Right. No, she was probably delivering yeah, their, their, their kids, wives' yes, babies. Exactly. And so they actually, these women who banded together to help this woman, single-handedly helped to lift the ban on medical, or on women being in medicine back then. So wow. women were allowed to participate in medicine in ancient Greece because of agnotis. That's Isn't awesome. that so fascinating? So I was yeah. researching that and I was, because they're like, I love the banter between these two. They're like dancing at a ball and he's telling her like, oh, because you know, she's talking about how she's in medicine. Yeah. And he's like, oh, have you heard of Ignatius? And of course she's used to, she's used to guys being like, oh, that's so weird and whatever. And and here he is like, this woman single-handedly changed that women could participate <laughs> in medicine in ancient Greece. And she's like, what? This guy's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> But he also talks with the Scottish brogue, so it's way hot. Oh, yeah. Very <laughs> hot. Very, very hot. <laughs> so another thing I thought was fun, especially, oh, so this also takes place like during the Christmas time period, which is fun, which is, was fun, but also kind of hard because for anybody who's familiar with Regency era, it, it wasn't really a huge thing, Christmas, which is weird because they love to celebrate everything. Like there's like a ball every single day of the week. You would think that Christmas would be huge.
2: Right.
0: No. But it just really wasn't. So anyways, mistletoe. I uh, I had like a little thing of mistletoe because I did use mistletoe and kissing and things like that. And so I was like, oh, well, where did mistletoe originate? It's a Nordic legend where Loki shot. So the goddess Frigga. Frigga? I'll say Frigga because Frigga sounds <laughs> like a Frigga, Frigga, Frigga boat. <laughs> so I've had a lot of wine. So the goddess Frigga, her mistletoe was like her special plant or her sacred plant. So Loki shot her son with her sacred plant, like a, a bow and arrow, or an arrow made out of mistletoe wood. I didn't really know anyway. So she went to go and save him and she managed to not only save him, but she she put like a new curse basically on mistletoe, saying, or I guess blessing, whatever, saying that or would everyone would be protected from death if you were under mistletoe. And you also deserved a kiss on top of it. Aww. So, mm. yeah. Which is great, but it's also kind of funny because mistletoe is poisonous, so. Yeah. I that. mean, Aww. I guess, you know, you can stand under it, just don't eat it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's why we hang it up so high so you can't read it. <laughs> right. The berries do look really pretty. But <laughs> <laughs> they taste like death. They taste like death. Don't eat them. <laughs> so, the last little thing that I wanted to mention, too, was... Um, I love to add intrigue in my books like I love to have like a I I like having a physical villain that can be killed or arrested or something Mm -hmm. I've never you know for me I don't know I just I love the I love the vengeance um and the justice served and everything so I had to have a villain for this one and I didn't really know how to incorporate him in and then I realized I could incorporate him in with Penelope and her line of work and I mean there were doctors kind of doing experiments and that kind of thing back then. They also did not have anesthesia back then because this book takes place, I want to say 1819. And Mm -hmm. so they didn't have anesthetics back then. So this one particular doctor, I mentioned this in my author's note, but this one particular doctor, this happened a couple of years after my story taking place, like maybe three or four years. So I did use some creative liberty with that, but his name was Henry Hill Hickman. And he actually was experimenting with carbon dioxide, not monoxide, dioxide, um, with his patients. Well, technically it wasn't really patients. They were animals. But he would give them carbon dioxide until they basically almost died because it would make them pass out from a lack of oxygen. And then he would remove a limb and note how they reacted while he was removing the limb while they were passed out. And then when they would come to, you know, if they like how they reacted and everything else. So he put together all of his notes. He was so proud of himself. He was, I mean, he was like 20 years old and sent it off. And basically they were like, what? Like you're a joke. This is ridiculous. And so he went to France and he tried in France and France was like, ha ha ha, this is a joke, you're ridiculous. <laughs> and so so anyways, he ended up like going and working in this small town and he died at thirty one from syphilis. You know, I had to get it in there somewhere. Yeah. And and he died kind of like like whatever, like just like some doctor, you know. Later down the road. They looked at him and they actually realized what he had done and how it really could have helped people. And so he has actually been sort of glorified now as one of the founding fathers of anesthetics, which I thought That's was really fascinating. Cool.
1: That is yeah. cool because I felt sorry for him for a couple minutes
2: there. Yeah. I know. Really yeah, I
0: mean, he did kind of get a raw deal. I mean... You know, yeah. and he was, he was also, I mean, not touting, you know, practicing on animals, but
2: yeah.
0: I mean, I guess practice on humans, like that's not much better, you know? Right. <laughs> so anyways, mm-hmm. um, I kind of, I used his, his carbon dioxide thing and I actually also found one more note. I have a bunch of sticky notes to talk about really unprepared. I pretty much just had like a scale of sticky notes. And then after I pulled that one off, I found that I had another one underneath it. So I actually <laughs> do have one last um, ah. <laughs> thing. So, I thought this was really interesting. I probably said interesting like 20 times this episode already. If you guys can what do the like good drinking possible. game. Every time yeah. Madeline says interesting, oh, take yes. a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is sort of like the tier of medical practitioners back then. So, first, the creme de creme was the physician. They were the only ones that were actually called doctors. And they did go to school. They did write prescriptions. They did not actually fill those prescriptions. They generally weren't even the people who did surgeries. They considered themselves above that. They were just kind of like, they would come in and diagnose you and write prescriptions and that kind of thing. So after the physicians came surgeons. And so all the rest of the ones I'm gonna talk about would be referred to as Mr. And you will notice that there is no Ms. and that is because women didn't have these jobs. So a surgeon was um, somebody who learned from hands-on training. They would do things like surgery and a lot of the the dirty nitty-gritty stuff and and really get their hands in there and everything uh they were basically also kind of like general practitioners after them came the barbers and barbers had uh, no education was required and they were basically like dentists back then Uh, and then after that came what's referred to as a dresser and i didn't know this so dressers actually their job was to dress wounds and they would do things like change sheets and, and you know, fill out paperwork, or not fill out paperwork, but like take notes for the doctor and that kind of thing. So I almost kind of think that a dresser sounds a little bit like what a nurse is today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I, I just thought that it was an interesting tier, especially the fact that physicians were the only ones that actually were called doctors. So, yeah, Regency Medicine for you right there. That's really <laughs> fascinating. You know, I was it doing really is. Some, I don't even know
2: when I did this, or it could have been even at a museum. I don't know. But when you were talking about oh like the anesthesia and how they used to study stuff, and then you mentioned, did they do stuff on humans? And I do remember that at some point in time, they actually were bringing people in and teaching the medical students how to do certain surgeries on people that, and they didn't have anesthesia. So they'd be like, removing a kidney or, oh like, my um, God, you know, doing things like that with the people sitting strapped down screaming. A lot of times they'd pass out and then, you know, then they'd be still and they could do the surgery at that point. But oh. it was just so violent. And oftentimes they said that the people would die from whatever practice had been done on them by the students. So, like, they probably could, if they could have lived longer, if they just didn't treat them. Oh, my gosh, that's awful. Oh, that's, yeah. that's
1: pretty crazy. And that reminds me of uh, the, started... the resurrection
2: men. Yeah. And, that's when um, they started doing. That's when they started doing the body snatching and stuff too, mm-hmm. because the students and, really did need to learn, and they were not, not. It wasn't working out so well with the live people. Yeah, and that's when
1: they were stealing yeah. their bodies from the graves yeah. and taking them to the medical schools so that they could
2: mm-hmm. license well, without having
0: to worry about. There was a woman um, who I'm looking up her name right now, Frances Burney, and she was actually she was an author back then, and she had a double mastectomy with oh no anesthesia and oh she wrote goodness. about her her experience and it's like Ugh. there were some things that she wrote that just gave me absolute chills yeah it oh was really goodness. really awful but she was completely awake for the entirety of it and you know obviously they didn't have the ability to go back and look through a testing and everything to check the tissue to see if it truly was actually cancerous back then right but it is suspected that it may not have even needed to have been done Oh, but, I mean, it completely no, scarred her. I mean, it was just, it was horrible, horrible. So, Yikes. if your if you're morbid curiosity takes the better of you, you have to read it because it's, I mean, it's yeah definitely fascinating, but also horrific. All that stuff really fascinates me. I'm
2: actually, I haven't finished it yet, but I started reading a book called Stiff. <gasps> My
1: friend was just telling oh, me about this oh, last I... week, and I'm like, I've got to get it. My interest is it. going to help me tell? with like
2: historical fiction it, it true crime that you. I'm already. So yes, it's basically like I the first couple chapters is what I've gotten through so far, and I needed you know you do need to take a break, but mm-hmm. it's about like people who work on like do like mm-hmm. autopsies and, or medical students how they learn things, and in the first or second chapter. Um, this person who's writing the book is visiting um, doctors that are they're not really dissecting heads, but they're practicing plastic surgery on heads. And they've pulled the flap of the forehead down over the face and then they're tucking things up. And it's just so graphic, but really good. And I actually bought it because you guys know that my oldest daughter she wants to be a forensic pathologist so she's mm-hmm. I bought it because I was like oh I really want to read more about what they do with bodies just to see like what she's into because she's been to a bunch of autopsies and really enjoyed it as much as you could enjoy that I guess but she finds it fascinating so we'll go that that's cool instead of like oh my god um, yeah. <laughs> Is
0: it, it so? I see it's on Audible because of course yes. as you're talking, I like, oh, I totally mm-hmm. want to listen to that. Is it? Have you listened to it? Is the narrator good? I haven't listened
2: to it. I actually bought the print because she prefers print, and I was hoping that she would. I could pass uh, once I finish. I was gonna pass it on to her when I'm done. But, oh, okay. Got I got think it. I'm um, gonna do audio. Let me know because if if it is good on audio, I'll just ship her the book and then I'll start listening to it because yeah, so I'll funny that you're sample, listening to yeah, that because.
1: You know how I, I play Mahjong every yes. week, and last week we were driving to Mahjong talking about this book and about how my friend was saying how the author is so matter-of-fact about oh, everything, it, yes. and how she goes into different things. This is not the only book she's written. She's written other books about topics that you wouldn't imagine could be interesting, and she yeah. finds different takes on all of them. It's, so It's
2: a really cool book so far. I'm like, wow.
1: And I kind of want to go, like,
2: do all the things that she's doing. But I'm not, like, I'm not a licensed journalist or whatever. I don't have the mm-hmm. credentials to get in and, and and study them doing these things. But it's pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. All right. So right now uh, I am writing and doing research for a book that takes place 500 years before anything I've ever written before. Uh, in 1193, this is a project that actually Eliza and Madeline are working on yes. as
0: well. But I'm actually really excited it, for this research because I need it too. So this is kind yeah. of like me taking. Photos. Oh my god! I'm <laughs> constantly, constantly.
1: I'm going to be taking constantly notes constantly <laughs> researching something, but. The biggest help has been this book that I think most of us purchased, and it is about the castle that we're going to be oh, yeah. using. Yeah, yeah. So we all got the Stephen Beasley's Cross Sections Castle, and it talks about all these different things in it. And I don't discuss this in the book that I'm writing, but I just found something that was very interesting in here. And it's a list of tax demands. Oh, so... These are charges that a lord can charge to uh, people that live on their lands. And there's a a whole list in here. And I don't know if you guys want to guess any of them or you just want me to go through them.
2: We can try to guess. That would be fun. Yeah. Okay. All right, you you can guess one. (laughs) Okay. So this is a list of taxes, right? Taxes, Yes. yes. So I think they would tax how many cows they have. Uh, yes so oh that That's that so would wrong. be one of
1: them so what is that that one is called a gistament or something like that because you know I can't pronounce anything man no one and can that, pronounce words from back then yeah, people were yeah. so <laughs> so this is essentially this is not for the animal itself but this is for the right of that animal to graze in the forest oh so goodness. so technically yes you are correct wow. and there is a tax for having animals because those animals have to eat
0: oh that makes Crazy. sense so was this a time period they had head tax like you had to pay tax for having your head on your shoulders or no oh my gosh are you see i don't <laughs> see this one on here but <laughs> i don't know maybe but I tell us about it. i may have There's seen t- the it in it may now I want to YouTube it. <laughs> there you go. It. It.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, you Google it while I read the other ones. Okay. Okay, one, one is called a wood penny, and that is for the right to collect firewood. So even if you live on the land, you have to pay for whatever wood you gather to keep yourself warm during the winter.
2: Oh, my winter. gosh. What if you can't, wow. then you just die? Right? Mm-hmm. Ugh. Terrible.
1: Okay, and here here's another one I cannot pronounce, but I'm going to do my best. Chiminage. And that is for the right to carry goods through the forest. What? So, just
2: to carry them?
1: Just to carry the goods through oh my the forest. God, that's so hilarious. essentially, yeah, they charge you for everything. Like,
2: okay, I'm going to go visit my I'm little red riding hood. I'm going to go visit my grandma with my basket full of bread and I have to pay tax on that.
1: Right? Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: I feel like sorry so, grandma, you get no bread.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> you come to our uh, house I'm sorry I don't all
0: right
1: so the next one is called Bodle Silver and that I mean this one actually makes sense because we have real estate taxes today so it's kind of the same thing it's for the right to live in a house on the Lord's land so
2: okay Let's yeah, yeah that one you can kind of get yeah.
1: The next one is called a fodder corn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> See, I'm, we're like the people the, they That's tell right. us this is the new
0: tax, and we just laugh and laugh. Right? Look <laughs> <laughs> got your fodder corn right here. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. uh. So this is grain of villain, villain had to provide to feed the lord's horses. What? So you had to provide your own grain to go
0: feed the Lord's horses. Yeah, and villains, remember villains back then were villagers. They weren't yeah. evil doers.
1: Yeah. Ah yeah. See nice. see I'm learning all these things because <sighs> I didn't know any of this stuff. Okay, the the last one on this list is called a Harriot. Oh I know that one. You know this because this is crazy. (sighs) It says, Upon death, a family had to give the Lord the dead man's best animal. That's like insult to energy. That's not fair. uh, Insult to injury. I mean, you've lost your loved one and now you have to give away their favorite animal. That's just crazy. I'd be like,
2: Oh, his favorite animal was this rat. (laughs) Well, no, but this is what they were
0: doing. The reason why they did that was because they basically had lost, like, the Lord had lost one of his serfs that was going to be doing the work. And so the animal essentially would compensate for this lack of an employee on his staff. Right, because it's his
2: family's fault he
0: died. (laughs) And, And I actually learned about this when I was doing research for Layla's Legacy because it was taking place during the Black Death. And I mention it in that book specifically because... Like, the world was so chaotic that Harriet, a lot of lords stopped even asking for their right to Harriet. And the reason for wow. that being, there was no one to care for the animals. There I, were so many yeah. animals wandering around with nobody to even take care of them. They're like, oh, so, well, and not only that, but everyone was dying left and right. right. They're like, I can't take any more goats, y'all. <laughs> they didn't have any more room in their stables and <laughs> in their They had no pastures. Room. And there was no, even if there was room, there was no one to take care of them anyway because everyone was dying. So, like, so that's actually how I knew about Harriet. <laughs> yeah, and Head Talks isn't what I thought it was, so it's not nearly as exciting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I clearly misinterpreted. They should have called it something else. <laughs> so, the
1: other one is something that I've heard all the time. This verbiage is still in use today, and it's something that I'm working into my book right now because my... Hero is going to challenge my heroine's brother. Ooh! So, so the question is: Do you guys know what it's called to issue a challenge to someone?
0: Throwing the gauntlet, slapping yes. Their face. yes, <laughs> <laughs> and you would literally throw a gauntlet at their feet, yes. right? Yeah, yeah like, so, so this
1: is um, what our, we have this whole packet of information that has been put together for us about our medieval tournament world that we're working in. And it says, a challenge could be issued by throwing down one of your gauntlets at the feet of the man you're challenging. Throwing a gauntlet at the feet of an enemy or opponent was considered a grave insult that could only be answered with personal combat and the offended party was expected to take up the gauntlet to acknowledge and accept the challenge. If he picked up the gauntlet, he accepted your challenge. So in the book that I'm writing, it's a revenge story. Ooh, I love a good revenge story. Yeah, I'm, I'm awesome. so excited about this story now that it's coming along. And my hero is... Tra- Challenging my heroine's brother, even though he doesn't know that that's her brother, and he doesn't know that his enemy is her father, and then it's just all gonna go to hell. So, there we go. When she finds out that he's after her family, I like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, and now I'm gonna flip through. Okay, so my next thing is I am learning my. My hero is going to challenge my heroine's brother, which I've said, but on uh, during a melee, which a, a melee is in, in our tournament, we're gonna have jousting, but then at the end there's gonna be a giant melee and a melee is like a practice battlefield. And that is when my challenge is going to take place. And there is an area, well, after during the melee, you're allowed to take prisoners. And once you do, there is an area where people come to look for their loved ones and or their, you know, whoever they are looking for. They come to this area. Do you guys know what it's called?
2: The List Field. I
1: don't remember. now It's called the Refuge. <laughs> oh, or that's the, right. Yes. Or the Reset, which eventually the reset. becomes the word Recess. Yeah. So this is an area... Uh, of the field, it's a roped off area of the field which is reserved for people to watch the battle and for people to wait for news of what's happening on the battlefield where exchanges are made and ransoms are paid.
0: And I'm excited that I know that and I'm working it into my story. <laughs> that's right I think that's awesome. <laughs> I was when I was reading through that list of things that we got sent over. Also, one of the things because I've been doing some research on this also in preparation for writing that book, and one of the things that I thought was crazy was um, during the time period that we're writing in, jousters did not have a tilt between them, and a tilt not is either. that is that um, like that band of wood that the goes between the two barrier. jousters. Right, yeah. and the crazy thing is the reason why they finally had to start putting one in place is because people would literally have head-on collisions with their horses and everyone would die. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. talk about anticlimactic, right? And awful. I mean, but yeah, so, so ours is a little on the, on the risky side well, because and, we don't. And, and, and
1: the purpose of these tournaments
0: are to practice for war, not to actually right. kill people, right. even not though kill that killing, happened yeah. very often. Right, right. And when we're writing about it too, the weapons were not blunted, so they were actual sharp like weapons real that weapons. were being used. Yeah, yeah. like you could mm-hmm. totally
2: hurt somebody.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to read your story. It sounds awesome.
1: Oh, I'm so excited! I'm so excited sound really about this cool. story. And and of course, I you guys were talking earlier about villains, and I had to work some villains into mine, and they keep changing, but. I mean, not not changing, but one of them's motivation just changed. <laughs> Don't you love when they switch it up on you like that? <laughs> yeah. That's why we. And I, I, I'm still very happy with the way it's going because one of them just got caught doing something, and that furthers the other one's cause, and nice. it's it's working out great. That's perfect.
2: That's fun. And
1: those are my little research tidbits for tonight. They were Very good. cool.
2: Those were cool. Mm hmm. So, um putting my head back into my tour which I go back out on tomorrow for Ribbons of Scarlet, I thought I would talk to you guys about the some of the historical facts about the French Revolution that are a little bit more fun than what you might have learned in history class. Oh. So, the French Revolution was 230 years ago, and what a lot of people don't know is that 230 years ago we celebrated the first women's march, the first. So, You know, in D.C., like, in, was it 2017? We had that Mm -hmm. massive march on D.C., women marching. And the very first one took place in Paris. A bunch of women marched 13 miles from Paris to Versailles to get a word with the king about what was going on with the people. So I just think that's kind of an interesting little tidbit. That is. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that people don't often think about is how much the media actually sort of made all of what was going on in Paris a lot more exaggerated than it really was. So they sort oh of God, exacerbated the, the whole situation. The media always does right? that. Mm-hmm. And people think that's in a my, new thing.
1: And it's not a In new my, new my thing. Highland Pride series, yeah, the um, the printing press was big then, and that's a time when they were revolting. The English uh, Protestants were vo- revolting against the king, and they owned the printing press. Yeah. So a lot of the propaganda that was Printed was against the king, so right. there's always been that. Yep, it's crazy. It is. Yeah, I, is crazy. I think a lot of
2: people don't realize that they're thinking about like you know the thing now, fake news, blah blah. Um, mm-hmm. that's like something that's totally not new. So,
0: well, and one character in *A Ribbons of Scarlet* was going after somebody who was, yeah, writing those articles. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So no spoiler alerts mm-hmm. there or anything, but I'm just saying. It was good. Yes, well,
2: it. and it's a, there's a famous painting about that whole. Situation in which she took her need for revenge
0: to the ultimate level. I'll say it's a good picture too. I did look that it's, up yeah, also because yeah, I re- that's I that's went and researched it. the character afterwards, and I was like, oh, this is fascinating." I'm one of those yeah. like dorks that like I read through a book, and I'm like, "Oh, I this person sounds thing. interesting. I want to know everything that ever happened in their life right now." I do the exact yes. same thing. I'm
2: like, "I've got to know everything." Yep. So during that time period, like they're draw- they're putting in all these political cartoons and they're gross cartoons, like. I can't say this on tour because I don't know my audience, but here on podcasts, like, we own this place, so I can say whatever can I want. You can say what you want. <laughs> yeah. So they had these terrible, terrible cartoons that were in the papers. Like, just, you know, go pick up your local paper, and there's a mm-hmm. giant penis with <laughs> someone riding the penis. And it was normally whoever they were trying to get <laughs> to be, like, the villain for the day. Like, they had Marie Antoinette yeah. doing things with giant penises. And That's great. Just horrible cartoons Mm -hmm. like that. And they'd be like, you know, this person's bad. And they were constantly attacking each other in this way. And not only were they drawing these horrible cartoons and attacking each other that way, a lot of the guys that had a lot of power in politics would own their own newspapers or write for newspapers. And they would call for action in the newspapers, particularly violent action. So, like, the September massacres occurred. It It was a huge, bloody event. Because they were incited in the papers. And that's where a certain famous woman decided to take up her own knife and exact revenge on a certain newspaper person. But I'm not going to tell you all that. You have to read the book. You have to read the book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I find very interesting, and I mention this um, when I talk to people, is that, you know, there's this rumor that has been going around for 230 years... A lot of people still believe that this rumor is true to this day. And, like, that's a freaking long rumor, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Do you guys know what it might be about the French Revolution? Like, what's a rumor? I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's about Marie Antoinette. It's a, the, fear, the affair of the necklace? No. The, that's a good one, that though. She ate cake all the time? Yeah, so. Yeah, is it <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Like, the fact that people say she said, let them eat cake, she never mm-hmm. said that. Oh, she did? No. It was a rumor that they put out to the people. I mean, she was kind of out of touch with her people, obviously, and mm-hmm. she lived a very extravagant life while her people were starving and and uh, So, what
1: was it like mm-hmm. a satire that someone wrote? Yeah.
2: Yep. They're like mm. she said, "Oh, we can't have bread." She said, "Let them eat cake." Listen to how terrible she is. She yeah. should die. Um, wow. Yeah. It's really t- yeah, t- she'll never, she'll never live that down. No a little piece of propaganda. No, because like 230 years from, like 230 years later, people still really think that that was. People will even thing. say it
0: who don't know anything about history,
2: right? Exactly. <laughs> and maybe not even
0: know what they're referring to, but they'll be like, "Oh, let the eat cake," and everyone laughs. And I, like, there yeah. were so many times I felt like I wouldn't even know exactly. That. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, if you guys, um, you know, how I like to watch that one show, the Who Wear Who What Where yeah, show yeah. or whatever. They mm-hmm. have a whole um, a whole one on Marie Antoinette. And I thought it was actually really good. <laughs> the I girl who does massive. it is good. I bet it's funny.
2: Sorry, um, squeaky chair. So here's another thing. How many people do you think died during the French Revolution? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I don't know. See, I'm We're all about death chair. on this episode. It always right? comes back to death, doesn't it? And, uh, syphilis. And, taxes. and syphilis death man. and syphilis man death and taxes. taxes oh my god we yeah. should name the death taxes
0: and syphilis <laughs> <laughs> uh, there we go that's it um i'm going to go with like 75,000 okay
2: so you were a little high it was 40,000
0: wow um,
2: that's a lot though when you think about saving lives that, so that is a, lives, that that is a how crazy how many years
0: like what's the time span
2: so, in about about 10 years or so, and 18,000 of those people died within about a year and a half period, all executed by the guillotine. That's crazy. And the guillotine Were they was all like... aristocrats? So, that's, that's the other interesting thing. No. The majority of the people that died were not aristocrats or say, no. There's no, no royal. Like they were, were royals. Way. There were royals that obviously were murdered, but maybe the they were people of, that were sympathetic? The, yeah, the majority of the people were. Not even necessarily sympathetic. It became a lot of, there became a lot of infighting, almost like a civil war. Like, I'm, you know, right now I'm in charge of the government and I think that you might be against me, so you're going to be ex- executed now. Oh my
1: god. This sounds like the witch trials.
2: So it we does. are talking about the witch trials. It was tonight. actually, yeah, because people would point fingers at each other and be like, I saw her the other day. Right. She wasn't wearing her. Um, cockade that says that she's a sympathizer, I think that she's a counter-revolutionary, and then mm-hmm. rumors would go about. One character in our book is, all all the characters in the book are real, and one woman in particular was not politically affiliated at all and actually tried to keep sort of away from politics, and um, she was executed on trumped-up charges of being a counter-revolutionary, but what they found out was that she was most likely executed because she rebuffed a man who was in high politics. Awful. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. So it just became kind of madness. Like,
0: I think yeah. that's the mm-hmm.
2: thing that's sort of fascinating about the French Revolution is that they started out with these really amazing ideas, and obviously now they have their own government, and at the time they were only one of two democratic uh, government or countries in the world, the U.S. being the other one who had just... Uh, won their own revolution a few years before that but it started out with a great idea then turned into like this heinous violent ugly thing and then sort of circled back when they had you know they had an emperor again you know napoleon took over so the whole thing i think is really fascinating and we took a particularly interesting time period in our book to study and the people that we chose as characters ranged from you know your street fighters Uh, really poor people that are, you know, fighting to eat and starving all the way up to royals. So that was particularly fun. But I have another really interesting fact that during that time period, they also did away with their state religion, which was Catholicism. And in Mm. its place, they formed a cult of the supreme being. And uh, I think Robespierre was behind the formation of the cult of the supreme being as their new state religion. Can you guess who the supreme being might have been?
0: Well, it wasn't the king. <laughs> nope. <laughs> was it Robespierre? Yes. Oh my god. He basically god. like of named course. himself God. Wow. Wow. It's uh, pretty arrogant, <laughs> right? You yeah. Think. I agree.
2: So the guillotine was invented during the French Revolution to sort of speed up the amount of people they could kill at one time, and also to be more humane.
1: You I know? was going to say, it probably is more humane because those axemen missed oh, and they, lot. Missed uh, a, they couldn't go all the
2: way through. And, and plus, yeah. they also had a lot of like, they would call it breaking on the wheel, where they just basically put you, oh, up, yeah. trap you to a wheel,
0: uh, hammer you to death. Gosh.
2: Um So. I just remember really how horrible was the account
0: was, too, of Mary, Queen of Scots' death was. God, right. they had to hack her, like, eight times to get her head off. That was awful.
2: Can you... Yeah. I can't even imagine. I think that's Oh, no. Terrible. It was, like, it was
0: like brutal to even read the account of it. It was awful. Right. Of course, I had to read it, but, you know. Of course. Of course you <laughs> did. I would have had to read it, too. So, didn't Robespierre um, end up actually going to the guillotine himself, or
2: no? He did, and that's sort of, like, it just goes to show you, like, someone who was high up in power... How quickly they fell, and there and was a lot to guillotine of them. like
0: that. Right.
2: A lot of them yeah. happened to. It's just madness, just utter madness. And like when you read about it, you're kind of like, "Did this? This couldn't have happened. Like this is so crazy," and it really did happen. Mm-hmm. So another really interesting thing that I found when I was doing research, in particular on my character, uh, I wrote two of the characters in the book. Aline Leon and Charlotte Corday, but one of the really interesting things that I found fascinating was that spoiler: Charlotte does die. I think everybody knows that because she's kind of like a. If you know Marie Ant- if you know the French Revolution, Marie Antoine obviously is super famous. Charlotte Corday is another super famous uh, person during that time period.
0: That's like a vigilante too. <clears throat> yeah, so. yeah,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. When she was executed, there was an assistant filling in that day, and he lifted her head out of the. Basket and he slapped her cheeks, which was extremely unheard of. He was actually put in prison after that for doing that because it was not okay for him yeah. to have acted that way. Like, even though she was a traitor, they had certain protocol to follow and certain respect for the body. But, anyways, it's fascinating then the fact that when he did that, she frowned, and so the entire crowd mm. sort of like hushed because. Her head is no longer attached to her body, and she is literally just given the perfect reaction to being slapped.
0: That's so crazy. Yeah, it's so
2: creepy. So it, it started a whole uh, science experiment. How long are you still cognizant uh, once your head is severed from the body? And they did uh, some research. One particular scientist, I guess, uh, formed some questions and had his assistants remove his head. <gasps> That's and was the- alive. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <clears> he <throat> donated that, himself to science. That's
0: pretty extreme. Right.
2: Holy um, crap. Right?
0: I'm like done. I need more wine.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, crazy. But anyway, so he they asked him the questions and he answered the questions through blinking. And wow. Yeah, so of course then everyone's like, Oh my god, we need to do some more. Oh no. So he he was alive for about twenty to thirty seconds. And wow. Studies continued. The guillotine actually, can you, let me, let me ask you this. When do you think the last person was executed by guillotine? Like ever? Oh man, I don't know. Oh, I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> 1971. Right, wow, really? Really? was like 1971 or <gasps> 1972. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So by that point, they had different machines that they could use to test people's <gasps> brains. And they found out that you, um, like, synapses and everything are firing in your brain for a good minute and a half.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's, that's crazy. Yeah.
2: But, so, I, I i don't know if I've told you guys this before. My dad is a coroner, and so I was asking him about that, and he said that, because um, I was like, are you really alive for that long? That's horrible. A minute and a half that your yeah, head that is, is, like, awful. in a basket with yeah. other heads? It's terrifying. And he said, you know, that no, like... The synapses are still firing and everything, but you actually lose sort of, like, thought and consciousness much sooner than that. Like, you can probably hear and see and think for about 20 seconds or so, but then after that, things slowly start to go because you no longer have oxygen coming to your it's brain. It's probably,
0: like, reactive. Like, if you exactly. had something, like, yeah. like a pin pricked your cheek, you'd probably win, yeah. kind of, but it's, like, reactive. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So,
2: that's fortunate to know that even though yeah. they say your brain is still technically firing A minute and a half later, dude. I still you're think you're over that
0: scientist that literally let them cut his head off. And Can then you talk. believe like, that? How did they cut his head off? Was they had a guillotine <clears> also? I don't, yeah, that's I just don't crazy. Know. I actually I have so many. Know. I'm like, I'm so curious about this now. What's his name? That I don't know. Why, Sorry. <laughs> <isn't> my, I, <laughs> so I wrote
2: this book like two years ago, and that's one of the things that stuck with me the most out of all my research. Because seriously, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like that's like, amazing. what the okay.
0: heck. Um, yeah, I don't think that I could ever get into my work that hardcore. Like a yeah, no. little southern girl <laughs> no. All
1: right, I'm dying to know. Cut my family <laughs> who had a chicken farm. And I am scarred oh. from my aunt. I mean, one day after they came and collected the chickens, there was one that had gotten loose. And my aunt grabbed one by its feet and stepped on its head oh. and... And yanked up and pulled the head off <gasps> of it, and and it ran around for like a minute or so. I don't even remember how long, but I couldn't eat chicken for like thirty. Oh years. my god! Oh my god! That's awful. I was I was horrified. So I'm horrified listening to I can't to that.
0: imagine. And like she didn't even cut it; she like ripped it off with her foot.
1: Oh yeah, Ooh. my my, oh my aunt god. is uh a very strong woman. <laughs> wow, that's all I could that say about chicken. her. Yeah. Wow. This week, I went to my shelf and picked a book out of my to-be-read pile that is very large. And this one just grabbed my interest because it's got this really cool cover on it with some purple flowers. And there's just something about the pages that feel really cool because they're uneven they're not like smooth in the edge it feels like somebody bound it together like in a personal way it's kind of weird but anyway it just grabbed my attention and what this book is is before i let you go by kelly rimmer and on the cover it says two sisters one baby an impossible choice And then it says, The 2 a.m. call is the first time Lexi Vidler has heard her sister's voice in years. Annie is a drug addict, a thief, a liar, and in trouble. Again. Lexi has always bailed Annie out, given her money, a place to sleep, sent her to every kind of rehab. But this time, she's not just strung out. She's pregnant and in (laughs) premature labor, If she goes to the hospital, she'll lose custody of her baby, maybe even go to prison, but the alternative is unthinkable. As the weeks unfold, Lexi finds herself caring for her fragile newborn niece while her carefully ordered life is collapsing around her. She's in danger of losing her job, and her fiancé only has so much patience for Annie's drama. In a court-ordered rehab, Annie attempts to halt her downward spiral by confronting long-buried secrets from the sisters' childhoods, ghosts that Lexi doesn't want to face, but will the journey heal Annie or lead her down a darker path? Both candid and compassionate, Before I Let You Go explores a hotly diverse topic and asks how far the ties of family love can be stretched before they finally break. Ooh, that sounds really good. That sounds fascinating. So it does sound very intriguing, but really the feel of this book is amazing. (laughs) And I don't know if this is because somehow I found an arc of it, which is an advanced reader copy, or if this is the way it comes on the actual bookshelf, but I love the feel of it. And, And it's nice because most of the time lately I've been listening to audiobooks, so it's nice to have a paper
0: copy in my hand. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I like
0: that too. Yeah, that sounds really good though. Mm-hmm. So I have completely and totally been sucked into this book called *An Anonymous Girl*. It's by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen. and it's narrated by Barry Kri尼克 and Julie Wellen. And so these were the same people who wrote *The Other Wife*, I think is what the name of it was, which was Ooh, also I read that one. a really good yeah. book. That's the one that we read when we were going on our retreat last year. Yes, yes, yes. or this year. Yes, yeah. So, man, this one does not disappoint. It is like, I, you know, I, I opened it up and I was like, oh, I, I actually had bought it a while ago, but I've been so busy with doing research and everything else with my um, audio books that I haven't had a chance to listen for pleasure. And so mm-hmm. um, so I opened it up and I was like, oh, I have this book. And I started like, I, I like pressed play and I'm like this, you know, this is And they're talking about how this was the same author who wrote um, The Other Wife. And I was like, oh, this should be good. My gosh. I mean, within like 10 seconds, I was immediately sucked in. And I haven't, it's like I'm brushing my teeth and I'm, I'm like, because I have my that loud toothbrush okay. <laughs> that like vibrates, you know, like the Sonicare toothbrush. And I will actually put my phone next to my ear on max so I can hear it over the oh my vibrations gosh. of the toothbrush. That. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I do that yeah. when I blow my I hair. Do. <laughs> uh-huh. because like i can't stop listening and i'm yeah. like we just listen for this five seconds while i brush my teeth no, it's, it's like two minutes but you know it's, so anyways it's that good uh, and actually i think that this book like blows the other book out of the water it's that good mm. so without further ado looking to earn some easy cash jessica ferris agrees to be a test subject in a psychological study about ethics and morality But as the study moves from the exam room to the real world, the line between what is real and what is one of Dr. Shields' experiments blurs. Dr. Shields seems to know what Jess is thinking and what she's hiding. Jessica's behavior will not only be monitored, but manipulated. Caught in a web of attraction, deceit, and jealousy, Jess quickly learns that some obsessions can be deadly. From authors, oh, I caught the name of the book wrong. It's actually The Wife Between Us. Um, Oops. Uh, from authors of the blockbuster best-selling The Wife Between Us, Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen, An Anonymous Girl Will Keep You Riveted Through the Last Shocking Twist. Seriously, it is so good. <laughs> so, that does sound really good. Yeah, it's, really it's, good. Uh, and it's told from two perspectives, which I really like. It's it's told from Jessica's perspective, and it's actually told from Dr. Shields' perspective as well. And And having mm-hmm. the two, like the back and forth between the two... highly recommend it and I like I mean I'm telling you I I, I, I'm like volunteering to drive places just so I can listen to it for like five minutes to go to Publix.
2: (laughs) I can't wait I did after you mentioned that you were reading it I did download that.
0: (laughs) You will not be disappointed in fact I I anticipate some text messages from you. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. So what am I reading this week? I am reading Bringing Down the Duke... Well, I'm listening to it on um, Audible. It's pretty good. Uh, Bringing Down the Duke by Evie Dunmore. It's a debut author. And she has uh, got some really great reviews and critical acclaim before the book came out. So I was pretty interested in seeing what uh, she had to offer us. And it's really good so far. I'm about halfway through and really enjoying it. So it says... Uh, a stunning debut for author Evie Dunmore and her Oxford Rebels in which a fiercely independent Victor, vicar's daughter takes on a powerful duke in a love story that threatens to upend the British social order. So right there, I was like, I'm in, because I, you know, <laughs> I, love, I love my independent ladies. So England, 1879, Annabel Archer, <laughs> Annabelle Archer, the brilliant but destitute daughter of a country vicar, has earned herself a place among the first cohort of female students at the renowned University of Oxford. In return for her scholarship, she must support the rising women's suffrage movement. Her charge, recruit men of influence to champion their cause. Her target, Sebastian Devereaux, the cold and calculating Duke of Montgomery, who steers Britain's politics at the Queen's command. Her challenge, not to give in to the powerful attraction she can't deny for the man who poses everything she stands for. Sebastian is appalled to find a suffragist squad, has infiltrated his ducal home, but the real threat is his impossible feelings for green-eyed beauty Annabel. He is looking for a wife of equal standing to secure the legacy he has worked so hard to rebuild. Not an outspoken commoner who could never be his duchess, but he wouldn't be the greatest strategist of the kingdom if he couldn't claim this luring blue stocking without the promise of a ring, or could he? Locked in a battle with rising passion and a will matching her own, Annabelle will learn just what it takes to topple a duke. Ooh, that sounds oh, so that good. sounds really good. It's yeah, really, good. yeah. It's really, really good. I've I've been enjoying it, and I really. And the narrator is really good too. The narrator is good. She, so, some of my favorite narrators do really good man voices for being a lady, and so it's a woman narrator. Her man voice isn't particularly like right the best, but it's not bothersome. Like I've had some that are. They're not even trying. But she nice. does She does a decent job, so uh, it hasn't been distracting at all. I've really oh, enjoyed good.
0: It. I have yeah. to say, like I'll take a girl that has a hard time doing a guy's voice narration oh, yeah, over, over a guy. guy that does a bad <laughs> female's voice yes. narration. When they sound yeah. a lot like this. Yeah. <sighs> And it's it like, so oh wow. my god, she sounds so shrill. Yeah, I'm like, oh, sound really <laughs> Like, I don't think women sound fair. like that. <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> did you say something? <laughs> There's this one narrator I really
2: like. Let me find her name because I don't know. Maybe you've listened to her before, but her dude voice is so good. I'm like, wow, you sound kind of hot as a dude.
0: Um, <laughs> I will tell you right now, Mary Jane Wells is hands down my favorite Regency narrator. I Ever. like Justine mm. Eyre. Ayer. Justine Eyre. Oh, yeah. Name. She's really She's good, She's so good.
2: And then there was an... Oh, I've got to find this other girl, too. I wonder if it's the same girl, because I've listened to this book in forever. Kate Redding. Um, she also... I'm oh, sorry. Kate Redding also does a really great dude voice, and one of my favorite ones that she did was Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. Ooh, oh, yeah. Okay. I'll have to check mm-hmm. that out. Yeah. It was I'm really good. I'm actually looking
0: for a narrator at present. So. Yeah.
2: I've listened to her... I've listened to that particular book several times just because it's a great book. But also, I just I think she does such a good job.
1: I will start out next with what we are talking about of our own this week. And I had a new release this week. And technically, when you guys hear it, it will be last week. But it is the Hanukkah anthology that I've been talking about for a while. It's called Eight Kisses and I'm going to read a little blurb about it and then tell you a little bit more. So uh, it's, it's a Hanukkah anthology, and here we go. Hanukkah is the festival of lights celebrating an ancient miracle with candles, fried foods, and family gatherings. What better time to find true love? From Regency Scotland to contemporary New York City, from sweet short stories to super spicy novellas, Eight kisses spreads a feast of love. Interfaith opposites attract. A small-town reunion offers a second chance. An interracial couple rises above initial misunderstandings. Online dating yields unexpected foodie dreams. A Jewish mourner discovers solace at a Catholic feast. A hometown visit heals old wounds. The girl next door is something more. Seasoned Lovers Reaffirm True Love, Move Over Christmas Movies, Spin the Dreidel, Gobble the gelt, and Devour a Tower of Lodkas as you read these tales of Hanukkah love. The Eight Kisses Anthology includes the following stories by USA Today bestselling authors and award-winning authors, and some exciting debut authors. Mine, A Highlander for Hanukkah by Lorianne Bailey, Mindy Klasky's Harmony Lights, Rose Gray's Can't Help Falling, Michelle Mars's Frisky Connections, J.T. Silver's Love and Latkes, Aaron Eisenberg's Hanukkah Kisses, Lavinia Klein's Bubby Linda's Menorah, and Lynn Silver's Rededication. So I also have to brag just a little bit <laughs> here, because we got a starred review from the American Libraries Association's... Woo! review That's magazine awesome. which is uh, it's it's called book list and uh here's just a little snippet of what the review says it says each novella shines as brightly as the candles in the menorah the couples in this unique collection embody the diversity of judaism and hanukkah observances each romance will surprise and delight readers so very proud of uh obtaining their highest review and excited about the way things are going this week with this release so it's been a lot of work but a lot of fun
2: congratulations that's That's awesome really really thank you you. and especially like we've
0: been hearing about this book for so long it's so awesome to see it just like take flight and be out there in the world yay yes all right, and my book is uh, as I was talking about earlier when I was talking about my historical tidbits. It's actually about the Earl of Oakhurst, and so that's the book that I'm talking about tonight. So James Mackenzie is the new Earl of Oakhurst, a title he never he has never wanted. Worse still, that title comes with the obligation to wed his cousin's former betrothed, who also happens to be the woman who broke his heart, unless he can find a different lady to marry and fast. Lady Penelope Keats is a woman set on making her mark in the medical field until she is told it is no longer appropriate for an unmarried lady to be working in the medical industry. In order to return to her passion, she must do the unthinkable, succumb to marriage. In two precarious situations, the ideal solution arises, a marriage without love based on contract. After all, what could possibly go wrong? caution this story contains a meddling grandmother a matchmaking mama and a marriage of convenience that goes wildly awry <laughs> and this is actually my that. first marriage of convenience and <laughs> it was so much fun to write <laughs> i love
2: marriage of convenience that's awesome. i i have <laughs> actually
0: i enjoyed writing this so much i believe that there may be some more marriage of conveniences in my future
2: <laughs> yes i think you should those are fun <laughs> Thank They you. are. Um, So this week I was giving you some interesting facts about the French Revolution, and that's the book I'm um, sharing with you. Uh, Ribbons of a Scarlet is a breathtaking epic novel illuminating the hopes, desires, and destinies of princesses and peasants, harlots and wives, fanatics and philosophers, seven unforgettable women whose paths crossed during one of the most tumultuous and transformative events in history the French Revolution. Ribbons of Scarlet is a timely story of the power of women to start a revolution and change the world. In late 18th century France, women do not have place in politics, but as the tide of revolution rises, women from gilded salons to the streets of Paris decide otherwise, upending a world order that has long oppressed them. Blue-blooded Sophie de Groci believes in democracy, education, and equal rights for women, and marries the only man in Paris who agrees. Emboldened to fight the injustices of King Louis XVI, Sophie aims to prove that an educated populace can govern itself but one of her students fruit seller Louise Odu is hungrier for bread and vengeance than learning when the Bastille falls and Louise leads a women's march to Versailles the monarchy is forced to bend but not without a fight the king's pious sister Princess Elizabeth takes a stand to defend her brother spirit her family to safety safety and restore the old order even at the risk of her head. But when fanatics use the newspapers to twist the revolution's ideals into a new tyranny even the women who toppled the monarchy are threatened by the guillotine putting her faith in the pen brilliant political wife Manon roland tries to write a way out of france's blood-soaked reign of terror while pike-bearing pauline leon and steely charlotte corday embrace violence as the only way to save the nation with justice corrupted by revenge all the women must make impossible choices to survive unless unlikely heroine and courtesan's daughter, Amélie de Saint-Amrom, can sway the man who controls France's fate, the fearsome Robespierre. And it's so, so, so good, too. It, and the Audible really is version amazing. is also very good. So, yes, yes, I um, listened to the... Uh, you know, I'm an Audible junkie, and I don't often listen to my own books, but I was really curious how to, to listen to this one because we had six narrators, And so I wanted to see how they were able to pull it off uh, doing different characters and um, how smoothly it would go having all the narrators. And I found it really um, to be
0: quite beautifully done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job with it. I love how all the different characters had different narrators as well. Right. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Me too. Yeah.
1: So thanks for tuning in today. Our website is historybooksandwine.buzzsprout.com. We'll have the show notes for today's episode listed there. They can also be found on iTunes with our podcast. And we are on Spotify, Google, and Alexa. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
2: If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review. And remember, you can always send us questions at historybooksandwine at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed hearing about some of our fun historical tidbits
0: and the books that we've been writing lately. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out new episodes that are published every other Thursday. Our next topic will be, we don't know yet, because we're still working that out. So uh, You know what, next time we will be more organized. It'll be, but it'll be We'll have a plan. Regardless, yes. So it's going to be great and you'll definitely want to tune in. Absolutely. Um, our upcoming dates are going to be Lori on December 5th. Better scramble and figure out what we're talking about, Lori. <laughs> I, will, I will be right on top of that. And after that trailblazer, I will be up on December 19th with whatever Lori talks about, piggybacking <laughs> off that. <laughs> Eliza will be January 2nd because, oh dear Lord, it is actually almost 2020. Oh, still no, my no, frantically beating I heart. I believe it. Wow. Um Happy Hour is on January 16th. Not too far after that will be us running our half marathon and possibly dying. So enjoy these episodes <laughs> while you can. Oh my God.
1: After that, we've got, so we've got oh one more God. happy hour together online and then we can record a happy hour in again. person together. Yes, yes, we I still,
0: I love that happy hour that we did when we were that all was I so. Oh, that's my favorite. That was too. so much fun. I'm really I not talking about it. I want to listen to it again because it was like yes, just yeah. being right there. It, it was. It Yeah. <laughs> If you love us and you love our crazy antics, make sure that you subscribe to get up-to-date notifications on when the next episode is posted. Thank you so much, and have a great week.
2: Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Drink lots of good wine.